Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Shabazz Graham. I'm one of the brothers here. Um, I head the video team and um, put the podcast up every week. Um, Today, what I'd like to share with you is something that, a message that God gave me in April. Um, I went through a strange situation that inspired this message. Um, literally, one, one morning I woke up and a song was on my head. And I know, I, don't, I know definitely now that God put that song on my head. It was a gospel grime song. And I started to literally just sing this song over and over in my head like, like it was worship. I won't lie, just worshipping God to it. And it weren't to a point in time where I got to a lyric in the song that I started to feel a little bit grieved. And the lyric went, um, what was it again? They're calling me Max, but I don't care if they're calling me Whack, because God is the one that is calling me back, back to the fact that he is my dad. And I heard that lyric, and it hit me like a knife. Because although the song was still in the faith, although the song was still uh, a Christian song, the very talented and inspired young man who performed that song and ministered that song, was in a point in his life where he was struggling with his faith. And to a certain degree, he had backslid, and he had fallen back. And right there and then, I remember it like it was yesterday, my heart was gripped. I started to say, raw, look at that. Such an amazing song, such a powerful song, that this young man wouldn't even know how it's impacted my heart. And he's not here. Where is he? And I nearly cried, I won't lie. And so right there and then, God gave me something that I'd never really had before. He gave me the impetus to, you know what? Pick up the phone, Shabazz. Call this young man. Speak to him. Find out where he is. And also what was brought to my mind was two other guys that had done a similar thing to him. Done a similar thing in terms of they'd fallen back as well in their Christian walk. So right there and then, I was a little bit scared because normally I was thinking to myself, well, I could call them up and they could cuss me out like... Who's he, who's he talking to? Do you know what I mean? I just felt like encouraging them, just, just telling them I love them, just telling them, you know what, wherever you are, um, we're here for you. I didn't get through to two of them, but I got through to one, and I did it. And funny enough, I spoke on your behalf. I spoke on the behalf of a church, us as a church. I said, we are here for you as a church. We love you. Anytime you're ready to come back, nothing long, you can come through those doors. We're here waiting for you. Do you know what I mean? I just poured my heart out. You know, normally sometimes you're kind of like, you want to keep like your, you, want to, you don't want to be too I love you to guys and that. But this time I was like, you know what? I love you. We love you. Anytime you're ready. You know what happened? A surprising thing happened. He didn't cuss me out. He didn't say, oh, this is unexpected. He actually said, you know what? Funnily enough, you know, I've been thinking about coming back to church. I've been thinking about the Lord recently. And you know what, Shabazz? I'd like to come with you this Sunday. <laughs> As you can imagine, I nearly, I nearly collapsed. My heart, like, you didn't hear me on the phone, but I was almost close to tears because that was the last thing I expected to hear. I just said, you know what, let me deliver the message and see what would happen. And praise God, that happened. And I'll tell you at the end of the message where it led to. But that basically, that occurrence inspired this message. It's a message that I'm calling a letter to the prodigal. And yes, we're going to be looking at the, the prodigal son. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Dear God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, and your love towards us. We thank you, Father God, dear Lord, for, for calling us, calling us back home. All of us have been prodigal. All of us were lost. And you, Lord, like the loving Father, dear God, came and rescued us, came and brought us home, Father God, came and offered us salvation, dear God. Thank you so much, dear God, for your salvation. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much, dear Lord, for all the prodigal sons you've called home, Father Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, dear Lord, as, um, as I speak today, Father God, that you will speak to us, Father God. You will inspire us. You will direct us, Father God. And really and truly, I pray you'll convict us and direct our hearts where they need to go, dear Lord, in response to this message. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, this is the message to us as a church. It's also a message to anyone individually who might hear it. Be it, should there be anyone in this house right now who might be struggling in your faith, might be in that position or in that place where you feel like the prodigal son, or you feel like a word that we use in our, um, in our culture is, you feel like a backslider. You feel like, you know what, I feel like coming back home, but just waiting for that right time or waiting for the motivation. Anyone who might hear this on the, the audio or video podcast as well, if it connects with you, then we pray it will bless you. My encouragement is to anyone who is on their way home, any backsliders who are on their way home, and also anyone who has returned home. Any one of you that have been in that position where you were, once were a backslider and you are now back home, my encouragement is to you, use your testimony. Don't sit down on what God has taught you whilst you were out in the world, whilst you were out doing your thing. Because I tell you what, your testimony is powerful. And it's something that only you can tell someone. There's something that, there's somewhere you've been that no one else might have been that you could communicate and share to someone who is on their way to where you've been. We were going to play a video clip a little bit later of a lady called Cynthia who we spoke to at the God Corner. Someone, one of you, we don't even know who. Um, it was a lady from this church. She was coming out of the station um, near the God Corner and someone handed her a track, a young sister from our church. She doesn't know what they look like. But if, if you, I'm going to put the video clip in the podcast. If you recognize a woman, please let us know who you were because it, it was God's will that you gave her that track. From that track, she literally was a backslider um, she was running away from the Lord. She was on her way to the Notting Hill Carnival. And anyone who knows the Notting Hill Carnival or the God Corner, where we position ourselves is at the beginning of a very long road that leads to the carnival. She has to pass the God Corner to get to the carnival. And she said, you know what, let me spend two minutes here. This is a church. I've got this track. Let me see what's being said. She literally said, from standing in that position and listening to... Literally, she said, like, I didn't understand what they were saying because they were, like, rapping into the mic. <laughs> she was like, she was a New Yorker. She was like, I can't understand a word they're saying, but something is communicating to my heart. And it was convicting her. And she ended up spending the whole day with us. She spent, ended up spending the whole day. At the end, she was helping tidy up because right there and then, God called that backslider home. And she literally spoke. I, I really wish we had the video clip because she encouraged us as a church. She says, continue to speak to people like me. She said, what you guys did to her on that day in regards to communicating and sharing the gospel was like a massive set of arms that literally were put around her. And she literally now is a Christian poet going around the world spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ through poetry. Praise be to God. That's good, right? So literally, God can use your testimony. Okay, God is a father to the prodigal. The main scripture I'll be sharing from is Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. And it's, yes, the classic tale of the prodigal son. 
which really and truly could have been called the father, the loving father of the prodigal son, because it's very much about the father as well as the son. Okay, please also find, and just keep your finger in Romans 8, 35 to 39. That's going to be the, the landing pad that we land the whole message on. A very impacting, powerful scripture. My favorite scripture, I think, in the Bible right now. Okay, a quick disclaimer. There is a lot of scripture in this sermon. The scriptures really and truly qualify what I'm going to try and communicate. Because it's quite a touchy subject, and I don't want to just bring my words. My words mean nothing. It's very much about what God's word says about this topic. Because even if you think of it now, yeah, the term backslider is quite, it's one of those terms that we don't really use that often, and we think it sounds a little bit offensive. You turn into someone and calling them a backslider. But in essence, it is a biblical term. It is found in the Bible. It's found once in the Bible, the word backslider. But the term backsliding can be found, I think it's about 12 times. Okay, so there are a lot of scriptures. Backsliding doesn't mean the end. I'll put that straight down. Backsliding does not mean the end. There are a few misnomers about the whole backsliding term and terminology. Um, It's a term that has been thrown around sometimes a bit too much. Um, But what is it really? And how does it connect to us if it indeed does connect to us? Does it mean leaving the Lord or just leaving church? Can someone backslide and still be in church? What does God think of backsliders and what is his desire for prodigal sons? I'm going to do our best to clarify the term. And my heart really and truly is that we will fortify our faith. Biggest thing here, if you forget everything else, and just remember this, t- this, um, this, this thing. The way to prevent yourself from backsliding is to really and truly fortify your faith. So as to avoid backsliding. Okay. As a Christian, we're called to mortify our flesh and fortify our faith. With that said, let's go. Let's read Luke 15, 11 to 32. You know what? I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier. I'm going to start in Luke 15, verse 1 to 3, just to set up the context of 11 to 32. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. It says... It says this in terms of he told them this parable, but in essence, Jesus goes on to tell them three parables. He tells them three stories. Um, The first is about finding, they all have the same theme. They all have the same theme about finding lost property. The first is the, the story of the lost sheep. Second is the story of the lost coin. And the third is the story of the lost son. This very much was Jesus's trilogy. It's very much like a, uh, a free phase film um, but in essence for me like my, my, one of, this is like one of my favorite parables in the bible so it feels as though the other two stories were almost like the trailers that you watch in a movie do you know what I mean you know you sometimes watch them trailers and like the trailer gives you the whole movie literally the story of the lost coin and the story of the lost sheep was very much like trailers to this the story of the prodigal son so reading from verse 11 to 32 and Jesus said there was a man who had two sons And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, the citizen, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs. Sorry, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, beautiful part, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go into my father. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Chalauda, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. Reading on. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? What are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, like he wouldn't be happy to see his brother. He turns around and he says, no, what? He gets angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered the, his father, Look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son has come, when this your, when this your son of yours, when this son of yours um, come, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, calm down. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, again, he repeats it. This, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost, and praise be to God, he is now found. Amen. Praise God for the reading of his word. Jesus Christ is the greatest storyteller of all time, hands down. Spielberg ain't got nothing on him. Because these parables, literally, they were so powerful. And he told this to a group of prideful religious people. He uses it as a way of telling and teaching the Pharisees and tax collectors about themselves. They both feature in this story. It's quite straightforward and easy to see who, who everyone is. The Pharisees and scribes were a very prideful people. And they very much, as we heard in um, the beginning in verse 1, literally, as if they wouldn't be happy at seeing sinners and tax collectors, which were very much scorned upon in those days. Tax collectors were like the bane of um, the Jewish society as if they wouldn't be happy to see them draw near to another religious man who's teaching them about the faith. They start to grumble, like this guy, <laughs> what's he keeping company with sinners for? 
they were very much like the older brother in the story. They were the older brother. The tax collectors and the sinners, obviously, they are very much like the prodigal son. Very much like a group of people who also weren't right in terms of their relationship with Christ. Christ weren't trying to justify their sin, but they were lost and needed to be found. And the all-incredible star of the show literally is God himself, who represents who? Who? The father. He's the father in the story, quite obviously. Okay, there are lessons to be learned from these characters for us all, individually and as a church. Our church ethos, does anyone know the, um, the vision of our church, the second line of our vision? Can anyone shout it out? Anyone shout it out? We're called to be a healthy church. The next line? Equipped to disciple. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> Our vision is to be equipped to disciple. Uh, one day, literally, everyone just shouts that out, innit? We need to know that thing. All right, so we're equipped to disciple. The meaning to the story can be found in the final verses. It says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That very much is the moral of the parable. Verses 7, 10, and 32 give us the moral or meaning behind each of Jesus' stories. Verse 7 says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10 goes on to say, Even so, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. A quick application in case I forget to say it at the end, yeah? As a church, please, let us not only be focused on getting people into the church. Let us not just be interested in like going out and witnessing and bringing people in, but also let's put time and value on celebrating and being glad, like Jesus said, for the many who are in and who will return. Makes no sense. If we can't keep those who come in, do you know what I mean? It's pointless. We're called not to make new converts, but we're called to make what? disciples so literally as people come through that door let's entreat them let's not be like the brother or the prodigal son let's actually be glad and celebrate their arrival their return our arrival our return all of us even if we've been saved for a minute i thank god for every single life in here right now because anyone including the night the guy you're looking at right now i could be out there doing my own thing if it weren't for his grace i would be so let's give god thanks for each of our lives literally and all the lives that come in Okay, to backslide is to regress from maturity into self-centered immaturity. To backslide is to regress from maturity to self-centered immaturity. Now, I'm a filmmaker and I love learning visually, so I've done a little thing here. Hopefully it works. I'm just going to turn this around. Let me introduce you to God. <clears throat> God and godliness, yeah? And... Over here, we have sin. Just wanted to illustrate. It's quite a straightforward thing, but I think it would be good to actually see. By backsliding, the term sometimes immediately conjures up the whole... When I was, when I was a young Christian, I used to always think of backsliders as being Michael Jackson moonwalkers. <laughs> I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I can't do it. I call up man that can dance to, to literally illustrate that. But I always used to think of someone walking backwards, almost as though... We get saved. Initially, we were over here with sin. We were living a, a sinful life in sinfulness, worldliness. 
And then we heard God call. And he's like, right, me, my name? And we walked to God. And he welcomed us home. He welcomed us into his family. And we became a Christian. And then I always used to imagine the idea of backsliding as being, as I said, us walking back, drifting back to this world of sinfulness. Yes, that can be backsliding. That can be what backsliding illustrates. But also, you know what backsliding can be? We're over here with God, chilling, doing our thing, loving God, loving Christ-likeness. We're focused on him, but slowly we don't realize that we're actually getting more and more distant from him. And then, rah, we turn around and realize we're back here again because we're drifting. We're not actually getting stable and putting our anchor down over here and saying, I ain't moving from this place. I am not even turning and going back over there. Backsliding also sometimes is, you know what? We're facing God. We're chilling with God. We're in the church now, yeah? And we turn our back on God. And we get entertained by what's over there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm over here in God. I'm in church still. But I'm very much enjoying what's going on over there. That's, that's been my type of backsliding. Because I've, I've, I've been a Christian for 26 years. And I've always said to myself, I've never really backslid. Do you know what I mean? Wanted to. There was a time in my Christianity when I wanted to actually go out and get a testimony. Thank God I didn't. <laughs> I'll be real with you. When I was 18, I was like, you know what? Everyone else is doing their thing. They've got some big testimony. I got, I got nothing. But thanks be to God, God kept me in the church. But my backsliding was, at times I turned my back on him. And I very much got entertained by what was going on over there. And I probably reached midway. I probably reached over here. Could have gone all the way over there, but... Me just looking over there was enough. I was a backslider. I was in church, but I was a backslider. It's worthwhile just saying that, just so that we don't think, wow, I'm not a backslider. I've never left the Lord. So what does it mean to be prodigal or to backslide? The word prodigal cannot actually be found in the Bible. The closest word we have in the word is riotous living. And that's in verse 13 of Luke 15. Not many, it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless or riotous, some of your translations will say, riotous living. Okay, recklessness. Reckless basically means heedless or careless. It means to be headstrong or rash. It means to be indifferent to or disregard, disregarding of consequences. Anytime we start to backslide and we fall back, chances are it's because we're being headless. We're being a little bit disregard, disregarding of consequences. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I don't need to hear the word again. I don't need to go to church. Do you know I mean, you naturally might find yourself that you're beginning to actually drift back. Riotous, this one shook me. Riotous means to be dissolute, lacking moral restraint, indulging in sensual pleasures or vices. The word backsliding can be found 12 times in the Bible and backslider once. As I said earlier, the original Hebrew of the word backsliding basically means turning away and turning away, especially from God. It means to turn back, like my illustration. I might not have turned back and gone back to sin, but just turning my back on God whilst being in church or close to God caused me to actually backslide because I'm facing sin and being entertained by it. Okay? It can also mean apostasy. A total desertion of or departure of one's faith in God. 
The Bible refers to backsliding as being a matter of the heart. It's not about location. Don't think, as I said, that just being in church means, okay, I'm cool, I'm not backsliding because I'm in church. No, you're a churchgoer. Christians, yeah, we go church. Do you know what I mean? But let's not get it twisted. This church offers you no salvation. Walking through those doors every week does not clean you, does not cause you to be a better Christian. What you learn here might, if you apply it, do you know what I mean? But you just walking through those doors means, not to say it doesn't mean nothing, it's good that you come. Do you know what I mean? Any time I was backsliding, it's good that I went because chances are God spoke to me when I went. If I went to the club, I would have heard Kanye West speak to me. <laughs> Rihanna would have spoke to me. Drake would have witness, ministered to me. <laughs> and they ain't got no words of inspiration for me that are going to bring me closer to that guy. Do you know what I mean? They kept me over there. So coming to church, yes, if you come with an open heart, thanks be to God. Anytime we walk through the store, and thank God for Calvary Chapel, South London, it's, allowed, it's really and truly shaped me because I've come and I've got convicted many a times when I've been in the wrong place with God. So praise be to God for that. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his own ways, and the good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The backslider in heart. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. We don't know if you're backsliding. You don't know if I'm backsliding. Chances are you might see the fruit of it, but you won't see my heart. So later on we're going to speak about examining our hearts to ensure that we are in the faith. It's something literally that only you and God will know as to where you are. Um, New Testament's accounts of people backsliding. It might not have said the term backslider in the New Testament, but we've got beautiful verses like um, Galatians 1.6, where Paul says, I marvel that you are so quickly removing yourselves from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a different gospel. That was backsliding. The Galatians literally, after coming to God, after being ministered to by the gospel of Jesus Christ, started to backslide and fall back to old ways or go and witness it. Um, go and minister or bow their knee to other gods. <clears throat> this, one, this one shook me as well. The word backslide also means to move, to go. The prodigal son, where are you going? That's really and truly what sometimes backsliding does. It causes you to actually move, to go, even if it's of the heart or, or to actually leave church. It also means to repulse, to be repulsed or to fall, sorry, to fail to welcome. If you fail to welcome the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you fail to welcome um, this transforming power that God has, that he has, he's able to change your life. If you fail to welcome that by, as I said before, being reckless and not heeding, chances are that you need to check yourself because you might be backsliding. Okay? And it means to be repulsed. Jeremiah 32, sorry, sorry Jeremiah 3.22, God told Israel, return ye backsliding children. I'm going to put it... I'm quite conscious of time because I've got quite a bit to go through, so I'm going to miss some points out. So if we remember, for anyone's taking notes, to backslide is to regress from maturity into self-centered immaturity. Jeremiah 3, 12 to 14, to anyone taking notes, it says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return you backslide in Israel, says the Lord. I will look no longer, sorry, I will not look in anger upon you, for I am merciful, says Jehovah. I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against Jehovah your God, and have scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says Jehovah. 
Return, O backsliding children, for I am a husband unto you. God is married. King James says, God is married. I am married to you. God is married to the backslider. If, 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 if anything happens in our relationship with God, believe me, God is not the one who's moved. We are the one who's moved. God does not cheat on us. We cheat on him. Okay? So a summary of this term, before we move on. It means, backsliding means, a matter, it's a matter of the heart, as we said. It means to backslide. Sorry, it means to regress from maturity into self-centered immaturity. It's something we do against God solely. It means to move, to go back, to be repulsed, or to fail to welcome. It's a place we go to. We depart. We depart from God, as I said. And it's a place, most importantly, that God desires us to return to him from. He never wants us to stay there. The story of the prodigal son has a lesson for absolutely everybody. Please find yourself in it. I've been convicted by it reading it over these last couple of weeks, and I've been surprised as to where I fit. Um, but it helps you. Okay? Verse 11. There was a man, and he had two sons. Just going to go over the verses now before we move on. <clears throat> Let's remember Jesus' audience at this time. It's full of sinners and self-righteous religious people, Pharisees. All of them, however, were children of God. They were brothers. There was a man, he had two sons. Immediately God's saying, you know what? To all of you guys that are listening, Jesus is speaking to them. Say the tax collectors over there and the sinners over there, the Pharisees and scribes over there. Pharisees and scribes are murmuring at the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus immediately says, you know what? There was a man and he had two sons. Yes, I'm speaking about God is the man, and you two are the sons. You are brothers. Whether we like it or not, we are family. <laughs> we love one another. When we see someone return, that's a brother returning. Let's not literally fall only into the category of being like the scribes and Pharisees. Let us not grumble at those who return. Verses 12 to 13. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. What I mentioned earlier about the heart is very important. Once we do backslide in heart, chances are we'll start to see signs of that. You'll start to see signs of it in your own self. After this guy got the money, after he actually had backslid in heart, we don't know when he decided to say to himself, I'm going to ask my father for my things and go on this journey. But it weren't too long after he got the money that he started to move, that he basically decided to, to take this journey. Note that his father didn't kick him out. Neither did the father leave him of his own. He left of his own volition and went far. I encourage us today... Learn the lesson of what leads you to leave. Learn the lesson of what leads you to leave. It's important for us to work out and learn. It's going to take a lot of searching of our own heart. What's my weakness? What do I struggle with? What might be the weapon that the devil uses to get me back out there? Because I'm over here chilling with God and I'm cool. And I, don't, I ignore the girls now because I'm in the Lord. I ignore the guys now to the ladies because I'm in the Lord. 
I don't fight anymore. I'm not in that gang. That gang's a waste man gang. I don't want to follow them. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, I shouldn't use the term waste man. I told young people not to use it. But you know what I'm saying? If I'm over here and I'm confident because nothing's troubling me, but that one little lie or I struggle with fraud or I like to look at girls or I like to fight or I like to drink, what is the weapon that might cause you to leave? I can't, I love Christ, but I can't stand Christians. They're so fake. A lot of people leave church as a result of coming in contact with Christians that they can't stand, can't handle. And the Bible speaks about the name of the Lord being brought into disrepute, sometimes through other believers. Do you know what I mean? We hear about a madness of a pastor, you know, doing this or doing that. And we're like, God, if that's your, ch- your son, I don't want nothing to do with you. Learn the lesson of what causes you to leave. Because I tell you what, the devil don't want you to know that. The reason he wants to hide that from you is because he wants to use that weapon eventually to take you out. We're going to read in a minute when, um, I won't jump ahead, but it's a beautiful story of literally what Jesus says to Simon Peter. <sighs> wow, time is running. If you find yourself backsliding in heart, my encouragement today is tell someone. Don't react quickly by just leaving the fellowship. Isolation is the devil's joy. It's there where he can attack you alone. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of the bread, forsake not the fellowship of the brethren. Together as a family, we can help one another. Don't just isolate yourself. A secret wound that the devil likes to use, by the way, and it's something that I don't think we always look at. And it's something that nearly rocked me, and that's grief. Sometimes a lot of us aren't ready to lose people in our lives. Sometimes a lot of us aren't actually ready for people to die around us. And my encouragement for you today, as hard as it might be, is to actually don't allow that to shake you. One day, yeah, I got, got a call just out of nowhere. My sister from Jamaica calling me up. thought she was just calling me to have a little banter. And she told me that my other sister was dead. She had an epileptic fit and she swallowed her tongue. Now that sister, my, my family's very, we're very broken up. And I just recently got to know that sister. And I was talking to her, Skyping her. We were having jokes. She was a Christian, thanks be to God. I was talking to her about coming over here. She wanted to be married. I was like, yo, God, I know a lot of guys over here. Do you know what I mean? What are you going to name your kids? Do you know what I mean? Planning all this big life with my sister, only to get a call from my other sister saying, she's dead. <laughs> and I, it's one of those situations where, you know, you're going down life's journey, you're like, Nah. God, are you serious? Are you serious? You're going to take my sister from me like that? That's, that's not even funny. Surely you're going to do something about this because right now, I mean, you've got a problem. Do you know what I mean? I love you. You know I love you. She loved you. But right now, you need to explain why my sister is six feet underground and she ain't coming over to England to do what we said we were going to do. And it rocked me. I was not prepared for that. And it was only through the grace of God. And thanks be to God, I won't even lie. You know what it was as well? Thanks, thanks be to God for our three pastors. Had a meeting with them. And in that meeting, my heart broke. I started bawling. I was in tears. And the way they responded and comforted me really and truly helped me just to stand up and say, you know what, Lord, I don't understand. But I love you. I did a Job. It was one of them Job's one where I was like, you know what? Don't understand, but I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to die. I am going to stay in this thing. Do you know what I mean? And when I get to heaven, we're going to talk and you're going to tell me, but I, thanks be to God, <laughs> it wasn't a hard thing. It was like, Lord, 
I will know. But the peace came over me as soon as that happened. The peace came over me. If you get faced with a hard situation that rocks you, there is nothing in this world that rocks you. Literally, please, just give God a chance to, not even explain, but to give you that peace. Don't try and resist or repulse his peace. Remember what I said before in terms of backsliding sometimes can be, I am repulsed. I'm repulsed. If I get repulsed, you naturally start to move back. I can't stand that guy over there. I'm going to stay over here. Don't do that. Do you know what I mean? Stay over here. You know what I'm saying? And so prepare for grief. Prepare for one of those things that might surprise you. Um, And it's difficult. It is difficult, literally. In fortifying your faith, you you need to know what weapon the devil might use against you, as I said before. Genuine Christians will one day come. Genuine Christians will one day come to their senses. Okay? Amazing, and my most favorite part of the story of this prodigal son now, yeah? He's gone through all this, literally, since we've met him at the beginning of the story, he's gone through this madness. We don't know why he decided to just get up and say, Father, give me the money. I know that if I take this money from you, I'm only supposed to take it from you when you are dead, but I want it now, even if it means that I'm declaring you dead, just give me my money. We kind of like see that he's a bit senseless. Kind of like see he's a little bit off his trolley. He's, li- he's very disrespectful. The most favorite part in this whole story is when the Bible says he came to his senses. He awoke up. His circumstances spoke to him. His circumstances awoke him to the reality of his wrong. He recognized he was wrong. He recognized the good character of his father in contrast to his bad character. I love that. He, he recognized the good character of his father in contrast to the bad character of himself. Literally, right there and then, he started to move away from self-centered immaturity back to maturity. And I love him. Literally, at this point, he starts to say, you know what? I will actually start to do something. I won't just have thought talk. I won't just think about this. Yeah, it's true, you know, I should go back to God, but nah, allow him. Do you know what I mean? You know what? I'm over here. I should should actually go back to God. I have actually done wrong. I am in the wrong. I know I'm going to die and go to hell. Can't go over there. He actually didn't just think of that and stay here. He thought of it and set up a plan as to how he was going to get up and walk over there and go back to God. This was the best day of his life, that humility. He was probably already on his knees feeding pigs, but literally he bowed down on his knees literally and said this, I believe, to God. And it opens up the dimension of the story, which is for me the most dramatic. We always love the parts in the story where the hero returns. It? We love when Luke Skywalker looks like he's dead, but he gets up, pulls out the lightsaber and takes off Darth Vader's hand. Do you know what I mean? And we, literally, that's why most of the films out there, if you notice, they're called Return. Return of the Jedi. Lord of the Rings, part three, the last in the trilogy. Return of the King. Even Batman recently. Rise. <laughs> in it? <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises. And who knows who's seen the film, innit? Bane devours Batman. <laughs> Breaks his back and pushes him away like he's nothing. Batman could have just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm gone. Do you know what I mean? Loudest superhero malarkey. But no, he, he gets up, fixes his back, and he returns and he devours Bane. Yeah? Sorry, I love my films. <laughs> Bane, um, Batman returns. Yeah? Thanks be to God. The most powerful time in this prodigal son's life was when he decided to return. The most powerful time in our um, Christian walk sometimes is when we return back to God. 
when we say to ourselves, you know, I'm fed up of actually being over here. I realize it's hard to go back, but I'm going to return. Even if I have to return with my head down here and literally just, Lord, I'm sorry. Thanks be to God for that return. It's the most important part in the story. Um, there, was a, um, there was a Russian Olympian who, um, her name was Elian Mustafina. Does anyone watch the, um, the creative gymnastics with that girl, Lady Kathy, no, Gabriella or someone that won? Absolutely amazing, right? Absolutely amazing. Well, literally, the woman who lost to her was a woman called Eliana Mustafina. She fell off the beam. As soon as she did it, I stood up and I was like, oh my days. The Olympic final is not the time for you to fall off the beam. Literally, you know, that's that beam where they, they jump up and all that. She falls off, but you know what she does? An amazing thing. She returned and got back on it. And she continued her routine. And you know what? She might have thought at this time, it's done, it's over, I'm going to lose, I'm going to go back to my country and get fired. But you know what? She won the silver. She might have not got the gold, but she won the silver. Never think, as I said at the beginning, never think that backsliding isn't, you know, it's done, it's the end. It's not. Never let the devil lie to you and tell you that. Get back up, go back to dad, and literally repent and get it right. Never think it's, it's the end. If you don't get a gold, you get a silver. It's better than not getting a medal, right? <laughs> Isn't it? You could have gone back with nothing. Yeah, praise God. Okay, I'm going to jump, jump ahead. <clears throat> Never allow yourself to excuse backsliding. Simon is one of Scripture's most relatable backsliders. He teaches us how to return. Simon Peter. And everyone, I'm sure you know what I'm um, going to mention. Luke 22, 31 to 34. I love this portion of scripture. You must remember now, yeah, Simon Peter is the brother, the disciple that stands up in Jesus' face when Jesus says, who do men say I am? And Simon says, what? You are the most high God. Do you know what I mean? You are the Lord. You know, I mean, he gives, he gives one of the world's most greatest declarations about who Christ was. It's masterful. And he might have thought at the time when Jesus is about to say what he's about to say to him now, Jesus, you can't say this to me. Jesus says to him, yeah, in Luke 22, 31 to 34. <clears throat> Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan wants to eat you like Weetabix. <laughs> <laughs> the devil has no good plan for us. He wants to devour us. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. What do lions do to humans? They don't pat them, they devour them. Don't think going back over there, literally the devil's going to come pat you and like, it's all good. He's going to try and devour you. Imagine that, the cheek of it. The devil's asking God, you know what? I don't like Simon Peter, you know, I want him. Can I sift him like wheat? Literally, that's mad. Jesus says, you know what? Simon, the devil has demanded you and asked if he can sift you like wheat. But you know what, Simon? I have prayed for you. And this is Jesus talking, you know. This is God. This is the Lord. This is the guy who knows all things. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. To do what? Fortify your faith. He's prayed that your faith will be fortified. And when you have turned again, Simon Peter, you're going to fall. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Imagine this as well, literally. Oh, I won't go there. Strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, don't you know who I am? What's going on? Talking to me? Andrew, you must be talking to you. 
Nah, you, Jesus, you're talking to me? Don't you know that I declared who you were? I told you that you were the Lord. This big old talk. Simon turns to him and says, you know what? No, Jesus, I am ready to go both to prison and to die for you. Jesus weren't impressed because Jesus knew the truth. And Jesus goes on to say, Simon, it's all good. I tell you, Peter, though, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Peter might have been upset. He might have been vexed. But in his heart of heart, I bet he knew this is God talking. This is Jesus talking. So chances are I'm going to backslide. And then obviously we go through the situation, to those of you who don't know the story, where Peter does go on to deny Christ. But like I said before, his backsliding didn't end there. He, yes, he backslid hard and he fell away, swearing and cussing up the places and everything. I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. But thanks be to God, he appreciated. He might have even thought about the prodigal son at that point in time. He appreciated that, you know what, I can return. Jesus said, I will return, and you know what? I will. And what does he do later on that we find in the book of Acts? He stands up, shy old Peter, literally stands up and preaches with the boldness of Christ. He's returned, and he preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. As I said before, never sit on your testimony. If you've gone away, don't think that it's the end. You can come back. You can come back. No matter what you've done, you can come back. God wants you to come back. And when you come back, don't sit on it. Strengthen your brethren. I need the strength of your testimony. Literally, we all need the strength of your testimony. Okay. Backsliding equals, so yeah, sorry, verse 18 of the prodigal son. I'm wrapping up. Verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father. This is what the prodigal son thinks about when he's over there. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, please, as one of your hired servant. It's beautiful, right? He has contrition. He has a deep sense of, you know what? I'm not worthy, but I'm coming back to you. Backsliding, as we said before, equals being over here and turning away from God and going over there. Repenting equals being over here and turning away from sin and going back over there. Backsliding equals turning away from God. Repenting equals turning away from sin towards God. It's as simple as that. True sons arrive at true contrition. They don't say, I'm still a son, and so I'm going to go to heaven even though I've backslidden and I'm living in sin. No. True genuine sons, true genuine Christians come to a point where they say, although I do not believe in God, or sorry, although I might not be in God right now, you know what? And although I'm not worthy, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. They come to true contrition where they recognize their unworthiness. Verse 20, not only did he think this, to those of you who might just think about returning but not return, the Bible says in verse 20, not only did he just think this, he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him up. In those days, fathers didn't do that. Fathers were very... Very up in themselves. I remember one time I saw Prince Charles, some old video footage of Prince Charles returning from home, you know, after being in India for like years. And like the queen stood there and like he was there and she shook his hand. I was like, can you imagine the queen just like, come here, and lifting her son up and just hugging him? Do you know what I mean? That's what this father did, even though it wasn't very much in their culture to do that. God would do that to you. 
God ain't just like, come back, sit down. Nah, he will hug you up and he will love you up. We as your brothers and sisters, we will love you up. We will hug you up. Do you know what I mean? Even if not always physically, but literally spiritually, we're there for you. Yeah, we are to be. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. Right, if we can turn to, very quickly, Romans 8, 35 to 39, we're going to wrap up on this. I love this, this is my favorite scripture in the entire world, right? Paul now speaks about and outlines a list of things that can come between the Christian and their love for God. So the things that literally come between us and God. The big thing with sin is it comes to separate. Sin is really and truly separation, Okay. Paul outlines a list of things that can come between the Christian and their love for God. He outlines them to say none of them, absolutely none of them, should separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Can we say with a big, loud shout, nothing? Nothing. One more time. Nothing. Nothing. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... And in other translations, they say, I am persuaded. I have concluded, you know, I have concluded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Shabazz, you might have gone through a death in your family, but neither death nor life will separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah? No height, no depth. Even when it starts off and it says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Whatever that pastor's done to you in the past, whatever that deacon has done, whatever that other Christian sister or Christian brother, none of them are a good excuse to leave him and go back over there. None of them. Who shall separate me from the love of God? You can't be that powerful that you can separate me from God? That's, that's remarkable. As much as I loved my sister, as much as I loved who she was, I love her and I will see her one day. I will not allow her and her passing to separate me from the love of God. She wouldn't want that. Let nothing come in between us and God. Let nothing separate us from the love of God. I love you as a Christian, brother. If I ever do you a fault, if I ever wrong you, please never backslide as a result of me. Please never cause someone to come between you and God. And you know what? Paul does quite a, um, a remarkable, exhaustive coverage of... He, he ends it by saying, you know what? I've mentioned life, death, I've mentioned everything else. But let me just say, not anything in all creation will ever be able to separate me. Like, you can't really do bigger than that. The only thing outside of creation is God, and God definitely ain't going to separate you from him. Yeah? So nothing can come and separate us. And even, you know what I mean? I'm being quite jovial, but in reality, sometimes life is hard, but... Nothing can separate us or should separate us from the love of God. Right. Just going to quickly wrap it up. I know I've been saying that, but in verse 21, the son actually did what he planned to do. He says to the father, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, the father responds by saying, bring the best, bring the best calf, bring the best whatever and give it to my son. The son expected the least. He goes back with a contrite heart, expecting the least. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Please just make me a servant. God says, no, you've come expecting the least, but I will give you the best. Jesus literally is God's best. Don't get better than Christ. And God has already given us Jesus. Literally, he can't get bigger than that. That's why he doesn't like it when you reject his best. Okay? Verse 22, the father exclaims, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In that day, not to regard or care, especially for family, was seen to be considered as dead. But thankfully, right now, because now the father, now the son had returned and was considerate and was careful, he was alive again. Praise be to God. Okay, just verse 27. Because he, no, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thanks be to God for returning our prodigal sons safe and sound. Thank you. Thank, thank, sorry, thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord, for all those who have been kept safe and sound. I'm not very good at following notes. Yeah? One brother that was returned to us safe and sound, and it's the brother that I mentioned at the beginning, the guy that I called up, is the guy that goes to the church. And I'm going to call him up and ask him to come and do something for me because I've wrote a little letter. It's, called dear, it's got Dear Son on it. I'll give the handwriting. And it's just an example of what I kind of think God might say to returning sons, returning daughters, who come back to hear the voice of God. So I'm going to quickly call Courtney up. Can we give him a round of applause as he comes up? Oh, snap. Thank you. And I just wanted to call Courtney because he was a gentleman that I was talking about at the beginning. We had a nice conversation in April. And um, yeah, bro, do you... How do you relate to, if you do relate to, the story of the prodigal son? Um, before you called me up, I was kind of off doing my own thing. I know I have moments where I keep doing it, but this time it got to the point where I was like, well, I want to come back, but then I don't know how to come back. And like, when you called me up and said to me, oh, um, basically, how are you doing? Um, it was that point there I was like, I was coming to the point where I was like, well, it's either I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. But at the same time, it was like, how do I come back and kind of like get plugged in again? Mm. And um, so in a way, I felt like I was kind of like the prodigal son. But when I come back, like God just blessed me to an amazing amount to the point where I don't ever ever want to turn back again. Like previously, before I wanted to turn back and I looked for excuses to turn back. But now it's got to the point where I'm like, well, look how much God's done for me in the past six months compared to the previous time that I've been a Christian. Amen. That's, yeah, so it's related to me a lot. Praise God, man. Thanks be to God. So, as I said, I've got a letter here that I'd like you to read. If you could, um, I'll open it up for you. It's just an example of what God would say to us, and it might sound a bit cheesy, but it's all good. Um, Dear son, dear daughter, you are more than just my creation. 
You are my child and I love you. Know that I have always loved you, despite your backslidings and shortcomings. I loved you even before I placed you in your mother's womb, before the very first sin you ever committed. And I still love you, even now, though your heart is far from me, even now after the last sin you committed. Because I love you so much, could you hold it for me? Because I loved you so much, I sent my living word, Jesus, your Christ, to save you by dying for all, all of your sins. My love for you is so strong that I can and will forgive you for the wrong you have done and are doing once you repent and return to me. The reason you left me isn't one that could ever justify the distance you have allowed to come between us. Do not allow your sin to keep us separated any longer. Come home, my child. I am waiting to welcome you with open arms. Run into, my arm, run into my open arms as you once did when you were younger. Allow me to once again lift you up out of your pit. You know your dad is strong enough to. I am waiting for you. Come home before it is too late. Love your heavenly father, dad. Amen. Yes, you know. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, man. Praise be to God, man. To God be the glory. And this, this very much is an inspiration I had of, imagine if the prodigal son, imagine if literally, it didn't happen, it's not in the word, but imagine if the prodigal son's father actually wrote that and slipped it in his, in his suitcase. And one day he pulled that out. He might have said, you know what? Loud that. My dad's dead. But then one day, he might have been humbled enough to go back and pick it up and read through it. And it might have impacted his heart. Today, to anyone who's out there, this is my inspiration of God's word, but this is the genuine letter that God has wrote to us. My encouragement to anyone who is far from God is literally wanting to come home. Pick this up. Find it. Find those verses. Find those parts where God is telling you this. Very quickly for the video, I'd just like to read out that letter again and give you some scripture references. When you watch it back, you can write it down. So, dear son, my dear son and daughter, I'm going to wrap up after this. Dear son and daughter, dear son, dear daughter, you are more than just my creation. You are my child. First John three two. I won't read it. I'll just allow you to write it down. First John three two, and I love you. First John three sixteen. Sorry, John three sixteen. Know that I have always loved you, despite your backslidings and shortcomings. Romans three twenty three. I loved you even before I placed you in, my, in your mother's womb, Jeremiah 1.5. Before the very first sin you ever committed, Romans 5.9. And I still love you even now though your heart is far from me. Even now after the last sin you ever committed. Because I love you so much, I sent my living word, Jesus the Christ, your Christ, to save you by dying for all your sins. My love for you is so strong that you can and will forgive. Sorry, my love for you is so strong that I can and will forgive you for the wrong you have done and are doing once you repent and return to me. Acts 3, 19. The reason you left me isn't one that could ever justify the distance that you have allowed to come between us. Romans 1, 20. Do not allow your sin to keep us separated any longer. Come home, my child. I am waiting and welcome. I am waiting to welcome you with open arms, as we all know. 
Jesus literally on the cross opened his arms for us. Run into my open arms as you once did when you were younger. Allow me to once again lift you up out of your pit. You know your dad is strong enough to. John 10, 29, and a beautiful scripture. I am waiting for you. Come home before it's too late. Romans 6, 23. Love your heavenly father, dad. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you very much. This letter is, elaborate, is, is an elaborate one, inspired by the real one. Please pick up the real one and take a read. All right. Jesus died, as we know, with his arms wide out, arms stretched out wide for us. He did that so that he could literally welcome you home. He's standing literally at the door, not the door of a church, but literally the door of heaven, the door of God's house, God's genuine true house, and he's welcoming you back home with those same nail-scarred hands, welcoming you home to come home. He's not just died for your past sins, he's died for your future sins, he's died for all of the sins that you will ever commit. He's able and available to actually welcome you home. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask New Direction crew to come up. They've got a beautiful song that they'd like to share with us called I'm Sorry. And I just pray as they sing this song, and afterwards everyone's going to come up, just think about some of the things we've spoken about. And might I encourage you as well, if this didn't relate to you or didn't directly um, speak to you, take the nuggets of what was said and share this with someone that you might know who needs to hear it. Because we all know someone who might have once been in the faith but is now distant. Okay? God bless you. First John 1, 8 and 9 says, um, if we say we have no sin, we're liars and we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we, um, if we come to him and say, sorry, he's, he's, he's righteous and just to forgive us of all iniquity. But we have to say, we're sorry. Just like the prodigal son. Let's do that. Bear with me, people. I'm a mess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's bear with me.
I'm so grateful you stay faithful. You was holding me, Lord. So forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. Dear God, I'm so sorry for the wrongs I've caused. As you know, quick to do it, but take long to pause. You still bless me in abundance with the songs and tours. So I'm ever in your service. Oh, honor's yours. Dear God, I'm so sorry when I disregard. Switch my path, but sometimes this gets hard. But on the other hand, who said it'll ever be easy? As you ascended, you said you never would leave me. I lost my senses to think you never will see me. Behind the fences, doing whatever with GP. I stand corrected, hoping the heavens will greet me. I am a mended through the blood that flowed freely I take my mistakes and change my misways my path I mislaid my steps I retrace too rejoin the straight and narrow when I stay close to God like the Savior shadow and I know I've been in this position now oh, so many times Lord. so many times I've heard so many people and I've told so many lies but Lord but I am so grateful you stay faithful Holding me, Lord. Yes, Lord. So forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. And I know I've been in this position of so many times. So many times. I've hurt so many people and I've told so many lies. But I am so grateful you stay faithful. You was holding me, Lord. So forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. Dear God, I'm so sorry, but now I'm remorseful. I was, of course, fooled, but I was a poor school. Somehow it was all true. The power was all too much for a minute, then the hour would fall through. For your mercy, Lord, I will exalt you. The wages sin is grim, so I can't afford to waste my life on wasteful pastimes. I was way past lines, but now I'm back like the prodigal son now my chance ain't a probable one but certain to reach heaven's surface and serve him look on the cross my fate he reversed it so i'm not gonna be seen reversing he was faithful and just to forgive my iniquities had my face in the dust so i got down on my knees and now i'm made whole giving plain clothes ring on the finger rejoice because another came home i know i've been in this position now so many times lord I've heard so many people and I've told so many lies But I am so grateful you stay faithful you's holding me Lord So forgive me Lord I'm sorry Time. I know I've been in this position now so many times I've heard so many people and I've told so many lies But I am so grateful you stay faithful you was holding me Lord So forgive me Lord I'm sorry So I'm sorry Lord And I'm sorry So sorry Lord And I'm sorry So sorry Lord Lord I so sorry, Lord. Ooh, Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. And I'm sorry, Lord. And I'm sorry, Lord.
But I am so grateful you stayed. So grateful you was holding me, Lord. Every single time I fell down, you was there uh, to pick yeah, me up. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I am so grateful you stay faithful you was hold me Lord so grateful oh yeah yeah I am so grateful you stay faithful you was holding me Lord Thank you, Shabazz. Thank you, Lord, for challenging our hearts. I think that um, it's probably not hard for all of us to see ourselves in that story. You know, whether the, we're the self-deceived backslider who thinks, well, because we're in the Father's house, even though our back is turned to him, like the brother who wouldn't welcome the return of the prodigal, And even in our own self-righteousness, we think that we're cool and really, actually, our heart isn't for the Father. Or whether we're that prodigal who's been out and lived riotously. We see ourselves in that story. And um, God is faithful to us. And, you know, I think that there are often times in the life of South London as a church that there are those kind of milestone moments and undoubtedly you know I feel that this is one of those moments where for some of us this is a real watershed moment and you've arrived at that place that you've been struggling to get to and the Lord has really just carried you to this place and said okay you know what are you going to do are you actually going to act on those thought talks that you've been having and actually going to recognize that my good character is so in contrast to your bad character. You see, it wasn't the fear of the father's judgment that caused the prodigal to want to go home. It was when he remembered the father's goodness. And the Bible says in Romans that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so, the invitation is extended. And the Lord, our Father, in an undignified way, gives of himself freely. And he says, come and be restored and be renewed. And so I'm just going to close in prayer. I'm not going to ask the team to come back and sing. And as I do so, I'm going to extend the invitation. And um, I'm going to ask um, Judith and Sarah and Pastor P, and if Pastor Rob's available, Marky, Bertram, 
um, if you guys would come up and, you know, maybe this is your homecoming today. And maybe this is you recognizing that you've had a hard heart toward God. And you've had, you, you've, you've not welcomed God or his gospel. And you've not welcomed his people, even though they're just like you. And you've come face to face with the reality of your own heart and you desire to address that issue and you want someone to pray with you. And we're going to be here, available to pray with you. And we invite you to come home. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for the fact that, Lord, even though we were unfaithful, Lord, you cannot deny yourself you are faithful. And we've allowed so many things as excuses to serve as reasons to turn our back on you and these things we've allowed to separate us from you. And yet, Lord, you are merciful and you could so easily pour out your scorn and your judgment upon us, Lord, as ungrateful, selfish individuals who scorn your goodness and yet you don't. And we see this in, as Jesus tells the parable. We see this, Lord. We see your nature. We see your goodness. Jesus standing before the religious leaders as they criticized him for being a friend of sinners. And he tells this parable. And then this is your heart, Father. This is your heart toward the sinner. And I pray first and foremost, Lord, that you would help us all to recognize that we're sinners. Help us to recognize that apart from your grace, left to our own nature, we are depraved. And we constantly reject you and are repulsed by you because we love ourselves more. And it's all about us. And our ideas and our reasons and our comforts and our agenda and our needs. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to recognize that that is a sinful, sinful heart that puts ourselves first before you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to appreciate that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. That through Jesus we are able to enjoy right relationship with you. Because our sin isn't swept under the carpet, but you judged our sin upon Christ. You judged him for our sin and our sinful hearts. Declaring not guilty. creating a, an opportunity for us to be welcomed home. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us today, Lord, that are in that place. Some have departed far, Lord, and some have just inched away, gradually drifted, as it, said, it says in your word in Hebrews 2. Lord, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, may we today, 12th of August, 
And at the end of this Olympic summer, Lord, mark this time as a memorial of our homecoming. I return to you and trust that your grace is enough. Because as the prodigal went home, Lord, he knew there was provision there for him. As the prodigal went home with nothing, broken, bankrupt, busted, he knew that there was provision in his father's house. And it's not even, Lord, that we need to strive now to either earn your merit or try and sustain ourselves. But you've made provision in Jesus to sustain us in your house, among your family. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Jesus is that fatted calf provided for us. Help us to trust you, Lord, and not in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask um, those guys to come forward. and We're just going to sit on a step here, sit on these seats. And if you desire prayer, um, come and join us. And um, we'll pray with you. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.